Welcome to the Advent Houston podcast. At Advent, our mission is to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to the Texas Medical Center, Rice University, and the surrounding neighborhood. We're glad that you're here with us today. All right, so last week we talked about repentance. Uh, each week has uh, an is it alliteration if they each begin with the same letter? Uh, this week is R as well. It's return. And so we're going to be talking about returning. Um, and so I'm going to read for us uh, our passage, which is Joel chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. You all can read along with me in, in your bulletins. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So pray with me. Uh, Father, we thank you. Um, We thank you for uh, your mercy. We thank you that you are, as you say here, um, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast, steadfast love. And so we pray, Father, send your spirit to be among us, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see and that we would encounter um, Jesus uh, this evening. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, my family and I have been watch, walking, watching through the, the Star Wars movies. Um, and unlike, we, we are not going chronologically in order of, uh, of when they were released. We are going in order of their episode number. And I'm not sure how I feel about that, but, uh, but it, it's going okay. And so we uh, have been watching you know, all the way up to episode four, um, which if, for those of y'all who don't know, episode four is like the 1970s old Luke and Leia, uh, right? Episode one was the 1999, somewhere in there, uh, when I was in high school, uh, it was the, the, the Anakin Skywalker is this, this little child. Um, so we began with episode one and we're watching, watching through them in that order. And, and most of y'all know the Star Wars story, right? In the very first three episodes, um, right? Those movies that came out in the late nineties and early aughts, uh, we, we, we get the, the story of how, um, uh, of everything leading up to Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia. Right, we get the story of the rise of the evil empire. We get Anakin as a child turning into Darth Vader. We get the treachery of the emperor. And so all of a sudden in episode three, which we watched, I guess, maybe a week and a half ago, um, we see the good guys, right? The, the Jedi warriors and the government officials, they're trying to fight for democracy, 
right? And they're beginning to sniff out this evil plot that is at work uh, within within the the overall galactic system. Uh, um, uh, Sorry if I'm offending any Star Wars fans, Um, (laughs) right? But these Jedi's, they're fighting alongside of a an army of clones, this clone army, and and uh, and they're 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 fighting against the powers that that be. The Jedi's are chasing down the enemy until all of a sudden there is a single command given from the Emperor to the clone army, and then they change. All of a sudden they switch sides. The clone army begins um, actually to, to kill the Jedi's, often shooting them from behind. Right, this is the ultimate treachery, to turn their, their guns away from the, the enemy and to turn them on their fellow uh, co-soldiers. Turns out the clone army who'd been fighting along the Jedi's the entire time were transformed by this single command. They became rebels, so to speak. Their allegiance turned from the side of good, and they began to kill Jedi's, shooting them, like I said, in the back without warning. And it's, I think it's a, it was a really emotional scene for me. I'm not often like captured by emotion when I'm watching sci-fi, but I, I really was at this particular point. And here's why. It, it startles us to think that the people who are on our same side might become the very people who stab us in the back. Right? At two, Brute, all of that. But if we live long enough, we know that this scenario isn't just some sort of nightmarish sci-fi type situation, right? We know that sometimes this is exactly what happens. And I bring this up because the Bible describes us, describes mankind as rebels. But we often don't under, understand exactly what kind of rebels we are, Um how treacherous we in fact are. We like to think of ourselves as rebels in the same way that the rebels are in episode four, five, and six in the, in the newer ones, right? The rebels are the ones who are on the side of good, fighting against the dark. We're think, we like to think of, of us as rebels in that way, or maybe we like to put it in the context of the American Revolution. Well, we're just rebels, you know, rebelling against tyranny and against taxation, But if we're honest with ourselves, our sin and rebellion is far closer to the rebellion treachery of the clone army, which turns out that they're the stormtroopers that you might have seen in episodes four and later. We were created to serve and spend time with our God. But so often we turn on him. uh, Preferring to do things our own way, preferring to discard what he wants for us, Rather to listen to our, ourselves or our hearts, what we want and what we desire, uh, um, to follow our own hearts or this above all, to mine own self be true. Um, when we do that, we're traitorous. That's the kind of rebels that we are. But our passage this evening has good news for us, that in our rebellion, the Lord Uh, the Lord offers us an invitation to return to him. So recognizing our rebellious hearts and putting that into context for us this evening, I want to look at our passage through the lens of actually the first passage that Hiju read for us, the passage of the prodigal son and particularly the father. Um, I want to talk about this passage in two ways, the father's heart and then secondly, I'm making up a word this evening, which is our, our rended heart, our broken heart, but really more our ripped apart 
heart, which rendered is easier to say than ripped apart heart. Our first point, the father's heart. So imagine that you are in an army. Um, kind of any time from the Renaissance period or earlier. The point being, like, you're, you're in an army where there actually were, were walls surrounding a city uh, that would have protected it from invaders. Right? And you've heard about a conquering army that's traveling over the countryside and wiping everything out in between. They've come, they're blitzing through the countryside, and they're now at your very, uh, at your very gates. They're encamped by the city walls. That's actually the imagery that Joel has been using up to this very point uh, that we get to in our passage about the judgment of God. He says right before our passage right now, if you all want to look it up on your phones later, you can or or a physical Bible. Um, It says the day of the Lord is approaching and Joel asks, who can endure it? No one can get in the way of the Lord. No one can withstand the coming judgment of him. No battlefield, no moat, no city walls can withstand what is coming. And that's when our passage begins. In verse 12, it says, yet, even now, right, despite the coming judgment of God, despite the fact that that his creatures have turned against him as rebels, Joel tells us that God is willing to wait until the very last second to bring any sense of judgment. That time bomb of judgment is ticking, and rather than immediately rest it uh, quickly and as fiercely as he can, our Lord wants to delay and to delay and to wait. He's asking for his people Even now, turn away from their rebellion. Even though judgment is at your gates and even though a swift and a guaranteed victory of judgment is imminent, even now, the Lord desires to see you return. He wants none to perish. And Joel goes on from there. He says that the Lord's creatures, and more than that, right, his very sons and daughters, his heritage, as it says later in in the passage, He wants those to return to him. And this invitation to return comes with these instructions. It says, return with all your heart, with weeping, with fasting and mourning. Why? Why does it say that? Um, As as the commentator David Pryor says, and this is actually quoted in in your reflection uh, quotes, he says that, that the outward action that are being described here, things like weeping, fasting, mourning, these are the things that, that, are often, uh, uh, that we often do when there has been a death. Right? These are the things that describe grief. These are the ways that, that we bear our grief forward when we've experienced loss and death. And here we're invited to grieve, to mourn the death of our relationship with God to mourn the condition that we're in, our rebellion against him. But also, we are to mourn the very way that God has mourned our broken relationship with him. We see at the very beginning of the passage, God's heart toward his rebellious people is not what our hearts are toward those who betray us. Uh, Yes, he is a just God, but unlike us, he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is his heart for us. We see God's heart for his people 
in the parable of the prodigal son, right, that though we are like the younger son, well, we want, we want our inheritance now. We want for our Father in heaven to go ahead and, and, and give us all the benefits that he has to give us and to go ahead and pretend like he's dead so that we can go live life however we want. We see that when we return, the Father's love for us, um, he never stops desiring for us to return, to return to him. His love for his people is so strong that it doesn't matter how poorly you've treated him before. It doesn't matter how treacherously treacherously you've betrayed him before. It doesn't matter if you've treated him like a genie, kind of rubbing the lamp every now and then to ask him what you might need and no, with really no other thought behind him or beyond him. It doesn't matter if we've treated him with anger and judgment for the major and minor struggles that we've had in life. It, it, it doesn't matter to him. He's not, he's not demanding that we repay our debts and we repay all of the inheritance that we took from him to begin. He loves you and me so much that when we return to him, he will run to meet you, to welcome you home. That's the Father's heart for us. He invites us to return to him. So let's talk about our, the second part, our, our rended hearts our broken hearts. In verse 13, Joel tells us that in returning to God, uh, yes, we are to weep fast and mourn, right? We're to grieve our rebellion, but he tells us he tells us to stop short of, of rending our clothes, right? Instead of ripping apart our clothes and dressing in sackcloth and praying on ashes like our passage last week uh, from, from Jonah uh, and, and the Ninevite king's repentance demonstrated last week, He's saying, no, instead of rending your clothes, I want you to rend your hearts. God doesn't want our pietism. He doesn't want our religious performance if our heart isn't in it. He wants nothing less than our entire heart. And so as a side note, and as a church where we often do a lot of liturgical worship, Right, where it's written out beforehand, and it can begin to feel formulaic at times. I want for this to be instructive toward it for us. Because these words remind us that it's easy for us to perform the religious life and yet have our hearts very far from God, as rebellious and as divided as they were before. We need to be mindful of when we are, we are simply just going through the motions, of when our hearts are distant from our words and from our worship. In fact, it's the older brother in the prodigal son story uh, that embodies this very attitude, this, this posture. Because right? remember all along, he's sort of upheld the familial structure. He's done everything that's right and everything that's good. But in the end, he is as far from the father's heart as the, as the rebellious son. My point is this. No matter which brother we are, um, God invites us to return to him, and he wants nothing less than our own hearts. So whether that is, um, whether we are uh, worshiping liturgically or whether we are not, God wants our whole hearts. Right? Whether we are in form prayer or whether we're in extemporaneous prayer, God wants our whole hearts. Our repentance, our confession of sin, all of that is meant to be done with our whole hearts. And that can be done with or without structure. 
But why does he tell us to rend our hearts? Why does he tell us to rip them apart, to break them? Because the Bible teaches that in our rebellion, we have actually allowed for our hearts to calcify, to harden, to become like stone. Right? Our, our rebellious hearts are incapable of loving the Lord unless something comes through and breaks them open. The stone casing right, around our hearts has been hardened as we've pursued kind of self-love or whatever it is that we desire apart from him. We say, thank you for the blessing, God. And at the same time, our hearts are far from him and they get harder and harder. We go about our own business and we don't truly take care about the Lord when our hearts are like that. And so I want, I want to really apply this um, today in this idea of, of the hardness of heart um, within the context of the American church uh, and American Christians in particular. Because this is where I believe we are in Houston and, and frankly elsewhere in, in our nation as it comes to being the church. We find that whether you're in the church or whether you're, you're far from the church, our, our hearts are encased in selfishness. It, it doesn't, doesn't differ uh, that much. Right? If, let's take our anti-religion for a second. In our anti-religion, we are on a selfish path that leads toward self-discovery or, or self-actualization. Right, well, we're trying to capitalize on, on chasing the very best things for us and maybe to have the most fun or whatever uh, it is that we're, we're particularly pursuing. But even in the Christian church in America, we can feel or have often been far from God. We've been selfish at times, taking his gifts and using them for our own benefit. For some in the church, we've seen an utter abuse of authority, of reputation, of finances, um, all of these things that God has given to us. We've taken what was supposed to be for God's purposes, for building up his kingdom, and we've used them rather to build up our own kingdom. Right? Maybe one example would be uh, churches using their church finance to, to just build the institution more and more and more rather than using that money um, to feed the hungry or to care for widows or to do other things that the Lord has called us to do and to be in this world. Or we've seen people in a position of authority, God-given pastoral authority, use that for their own gain or for their own desires, sexual or otherwise. Maybe that's not you, and I pray that it isn't, and I pray that it's not us at Advent. But no matter what it is, we can be tempted um, to encase ourselves in selfishness. Maybe it's the way that we've puffed ourselves up by, by living according to God's moral code without recognizing his grace towards sinners that continue to break his moral code. Or maybe it's that, um, that our theology or our denominational structure, we believe it's so right and so good that it, that, that pride begins to take root in our hearts and to harden us um, toward God even more. My point is this. We need broken hearts. We need our hearts broken so that we might be opened up to God, so that they might be softened to him. But if you're like me, a broken or an open heart is an incredibly frightening thing, uh, right? Because what if all of a sudden with this open heart we are mistreated? 
like we probably have been over and over and over again by other humans. Praise God that he's not like us. He is kind when our hearts are opened. He actually, even in this passage, uh, assuages our fears. He, rest, he says that we can be reassured because he is gracious and abounding and steadfast love. That's the reason he uses that language there. As our hearts are opened by him and to him, they are filled by him. Our hearts are opened and they're changed by God. I want to conclude with this. Um, given the title uh, of this sermon and given the impetus and the command that, that we have to return to the Lord, we, we can begin to think that this is really up to us, right? that this is something that we're supposed to, uh, to kind of completely do on our own, that we need to do something about our rebellion and, and to take this long trek all the way back to God. Um, but as I've been thinking about it this week, uh, I actually kind of began to recognize this in relation to, to how I relate to my dog. Um, I know uh, some of you here love my dog very much. Uh, actually, very much not true. Um, Springer is our dog. He's, he's actually super sweet uh, for about 21 hours a day. Um, and then about three hours a day, he's a dummy um, and loves to just get up in, into everybody's business. Um, in particular, he loves to grab my kid's socks or anything that's fuzzy. And you'll hear uh, what he's gotten into because all of a sudden you'll hear the kids yelling, Springer, Springer. And then, you know, sometimes I'll get a little more upset than others and I'll get involved. Um, but when I am, when I'm calm, when I'm of a good state of mind, and I begin to pursue my dog with grace, um, I don't stand still and yell, Springer, come here, all the way here, right? And now open your mouth and give me whatever it is. No, I say Springer, and I approach him with an open posture, right? And with a calm heart. And I walk toward him, showing him love. And the type of return that I'm expecting from Springer right, isn't, isn't to run all the way back to me. The type of return I'm expecting from Springer is to merely stop running away, right? To turn his body toward me and, and maybe to open his mouth, right? At a certain point in time and to, and to open his heart too, right? Um, my point is this, Springer had very little returning to do right, in that situation and in that scenario. I was the one actually pursuing him. He just merely had to stop running away and, and to turn around. Um, God's way of calling us to return is much the same. Right? He doesn't demand that we atone for all that we did wrong. He doesn't demand that we pay back everything that we ever did wrong in the first place and then finally make our way to him. Um, no, he moves toward us. In fact, he moves so close toward us, as we talked about at the very beginning, Jesus became one of us. Or as Eugene Peterson says in his translation of the New Testament, he says that, that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Right? He's taken upon him our guilt, our shame on the very cross, and instead of, of giving us the judgment that we deserve, he has given us his righteousness. And bringing us, he brings us all into his very presence 
and into his future glory. Um, so tonight, I want for us to recognize that as we talk about return, um, it's not up to us. It's rather to recognize just how much the Lord has pursue, pursued you and to stop running. Stop running away. Turn around and see the Father's heart for you. May our hearts of stone break despite the selfish things that we pursue. May our hearts of stone break despite our attempts to, to build up whatever it is for ourselves, our reputation, uh, our finances, whatever it might be. And may our hearts be filled with Jesus who promises us new hearts, whole hearts, and eternal relationship with him. Would you all pray with me to that end? Our Father and our God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who pursues. And Lord, as we think about what it means to return to you, may we not be so focused on everything that we need to get right in order to come back to you, but rather may we recognize that we're, we're tempted to run away, may we stop running away and see that you are there, the God who pursues us over and over and over again. So, Father, I pray all of these things, that you would make them true of us as a church and, and of the people who are, are here with us this evening. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.